Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Thanks, Andrew. Hi, everyone. Appreciate you joining us here today. In a normal year, we'd be together in Las Vegas for the inaugural edition of the Pac-12 football championship game at Allegiant Stadium. And like all of you, I'm sure I look forward to being together in person and what we hope will be in the near future. But as we all know, this has not been a normal year in many, many respects. In fact, it's been extraordinary and an unprecedented year. Our challenging journey through this pandemic began in March when we made the difficult decision to halt the men's basketball tournament, as well as spring sports. And in the months since, our student athletes, coaches, and staffs have had to cope with almost continuous uncertainty, not only about their sports, but about school itself and whether they'd even be able to come to campus, along with concerns about their own health and the health of the people they care about most. I'll come back a little bit later in my remarks about the COVID issues, and especially what we expect to see over the next several months but I wanna make a special point of expressing my gratitude to everyone associated with the Pac-12 who has endured the challenges this year that have been thrown at them. Some faced crushing disappointment, others were more fortunate, many had to make difficult personal choices and almost everyone made some form of sacrifice. To everyone, our student athletes first and foremost, along with our coaches, support staff, conference staff, officials, our university leadership, faculty, parents, and families that have come together to help navigate through this journey, I just want to thank you. I don't have to tell you that just reaching this moment, the eve of our 2020 Pac-12 football championship game was a challenge and never a certainty, and we feel some sense of positive achievement. We made a decision based on the information available and our values as a league when we postponed our season and made the health and safety of our student athletes and all those connected to Pac-12 sports our top priority and our true north. I'm proud of our conference and the leaders of our 12 universities for being willing to make that tough call despite the enormous financial sacrifice and disappointment that was involved. At the same time, uh, we persevered in exploring ways in which we could salvage as much of a season as possible. With health and safety, first and foremost, we were guided by science and by a panel of medical experts that's beyond compare from our universities that was advising us at every step along the way. We're able to work out an agreement with Quidel, a San Diego-based company that enabled us to become the first conference to commit to a daily testing program. Our testing program has been the most comprehensive in college sports with close to 70,000 antigen tests taken so far, conducted daily for high-risk sports, and close to 50,000 PCR tests conducted on student athletes to date. This is on top of extensive health and safety protocols and efforts that have been made uh, to keep our athletics facilities as safe as possible. The results from these antigen tests uh, have proven to be you know, very, very impressive. Only 0.15% of the overall positive tests uh, were, were false positive, sorry. 
0.15% false positive rate. And amongst our students, our student athletes, the percentage of positive tests was only 1.2%, which is much lower than the general student population. I think reinforcing that being under the care of our coaches, our medical staff in a routine, uh, being on a team was actually a safer place for most of our student athletes to be uh, than to not be. And following our CEO group's commitment to health and safety, we committed to extensive consultation on our campuses prior to the approval of the commencement of our sport, sport season. Our presidents and chancellors were very deliberate, measured, consultative before they signed off on us plan. While having a rigorous testing program didn't prevent individuals from contracting the virus out in the broader world, it contained outbreaks and made it possible to play with a reasonable degree of safety. Unlike pro sports that were able to play inside bubbles, we decided we can't wall ourselves off from campuses and larger communities of which we're a part of. We took a flexible approach to rescheduling the season that prioritized student athlete health we adopted a conference only schedule to minimize travel and have teams playing against those with similar testing standards. But at the same time, we found alternate matchups when schedules had to be arranged because of COVID outbreaks. That required a high degree of collaboration amongst our schools and a nimbleness. We work closely together with public health officials across our markets to navigate return to play. And this was no small task in our footprint, only getting sign off from Washington, Oregon, and California on September 27th that we could proceed with contact practice and start playing. And all along, as I mentioned, we did this consistent with our PAC-12 CEO group's priorities to proceed deliberatively, consultatively in the name of health and safety. And I wanna especially thank our 12 athletics directors on almost daily calls throughout the season and leading up to it, uh, helping make all this possible. We had to come together and get agreement on a lot of policies and procedures, as well as our student athletes and coaches who overcame all this uncertainty. So under all these circumstances, I think we can be proud of the season we've had as we enter its final uh, weekend in our 2020 Pac-12 football championship game in a football season that's thrown unprecedented challenges and adversity at our football teams and student athletes. USC and Oregon have performed at incredibly high levels as of other teams, such as number 25 ranked Colorado. Of course, our hearts go out to the University of Washington uh, that was due to play in the Pac-12 championship game and uh, couldn't, nor could they play against uh, Oregon the week before. I know it's heartbreaking for those student athletes and the staff, uh, as well as for Colorado uh, that lost a game uh, this weekend uh, that has overcome a lot of uh, adversity and a lot to be proud of with that program. A um, few words about the two teams competing in our championship game and what we expect to be a fantastic matchup. USC, led by one of the nation's best quarterbacks and Keaton Slovis, ranked 13 in the latest CFP rankings with an undefeated 5-0 record, having reached 5-0 play in Pac-12 for the first time since 2006. As the host for the 2020 title game, USC is making their third football championship game appearance and their first since 2017. Oregon's also led by an excellent uh, quarterback, and is one of only four A5 schools averaging 270 plus passing yards and 200 rushing yards this year. Two great teams with leading coaches, student athletes, great histories with a Pac-12 title on the line and college football playoff and important bowl implications. 
So this should be a thrilling game. I know we're expecting a great matchup here. Finally, before I move to a few other topics, I want to also thank our partners for their incredible support throughout the season. Our media partners, ESPN, Fox, Pac-12 Networks, and our many other partners, including our presenting sponsor for our championship game, uh, 76. Uh, there was a lot of moving parts uh, this season, and this year really demonstrated how fortunate we are to have strong partners that were very, very flexible uh, that we work with to get many of our games telecast um, broad national platforms and, and stages, including you know, a few 9 a.m. games and opportunities on Fox's Big Noon. Um, so um, a lot of great work with our media partners. Moving away for the game itself, as I reflect on the season, you know, one of the silver linings of the current pandemic has been the increased collaboration with our student athletes who have truly found their voice over the past few months in some very positive ways. The collaboration has gone well beyond health and safety and the consultations we had with them, um, but you know, into areas of social justice. The confluence of the pandemic, the Black Lives Matter movement, and the economic issues associated with college sports have led to student athletes becoming more socially and politically engaged than ever before. At the same time, uh, the power of social media has given them more power and influence on society than ever before, and we embrace this. This is a good thing. Our Pac-12 student athletes are civic-minded, socially engaged, and our conference has a long history of leadership in fighting for social justice and against racism. I'm very, very proud of the initiatives our student athletes uh, have led and collaborated on, some of them with their coaches, in supporting in particular voting rights uh, and other important social justice causes and using their platform uh, to articulate better world that our student athletes and our universities wanna see. And while not student athletes, I'd be remiss if I did not mention how proud I am that this weekend, the Pac-12 will feel for the first time ever an all African-American officiating crew for our Stanford UCLA game. I'm proud of the diversity and inclusion represented in, in the Pac-12. Both of these schools, Stanford and USC, both two of the nation's leading athletics directors who happen to be African-American and Bernard Muir and Martin Jarman. And it especially feels fitting that in this game, they'll officiate with the recent passing of track and field and UCLA alumni Rayford Johnson, who himself uh, was a pioneer and broke barriers for African-American athletes. Obviously, one of the other areas in which student-athletes and others have been active is in the continuing discussion over whether and to what extent student-athletes should be able to directly participate in the economic value of their name, image, and likeness. That is beyond the cost of attendance at their university and the very valuable educational opportunity they have. Overall, we continue to believe deeply in the amateur model. Student athletes should not be paid to play and, uh, and shouldn't be employees of their universities. But we believe we must recognize evolving attitudes, technologies, uh, laws are requiring us to explore how student athletes can monetize their activities in a manner consistent with their fellow students uh, and the collegiate model. It's essential that we find ways to do this that avoids pay for play. Uh, or uh, using NIL as a major force in recruiting, for example. So the guardrails are gonna be important and the adoption of reasonable national guardrails will require efforts from Congress. And here we're encouraged by the bill recently introduced by Senator Wicker in Congress. Um, I know this morning, Senators Booker and Blumenthal uh, introduced College Athlete Bill of Rights uh, this morning. And there are many things that uh, we agree with and frankly at the Pac-12 
uh, is already doing. And we look forward to working with members of Congress in shaping these bills to provide the appropriate uh, protection uh, and preemption that I think uh, will allow college sports to continue on a national basis and preserve the things we love and feel are important about college sports. Um, should add, we also welcome the decision of the US Supreme Court to review the Alston case decision um, and, and the NCAA and the right to support student athletes through educational benefits that will best prepare them for success post-graduation. But we believe that student athletes should continue to be supported in ways that ensure that they're able to remain students first and foremost. And we're hopeful that the Supreme Court will settle this important matter in a manner that preserves the strengths of our unique collegiate sports model. So that's a quick review of some of uh, the topics as I reflect back on, on this football season and what else has gone on over the last few months in college sports. And before we move to Q&A, just wanna say there's been a very difficult year that will have a lasting impact on college athletics. And that out of those difficulties, I truly believe um, the Pac-12 is coming out of it. Uh, in a very, very strong way. Student athletes found their voice and are exercising it in a positive way. We as a conference learned the importance of staying nimble and flexible and experimenting and testing uh, some new approaches in a time of crisis and unpredictability. From issues like NIL, student athlete safety and much else, we're reminded we must be proactive in driving reform. We've been reminded of the importance of cooperation amongst our universities in our conference and amongst our conferences. Uh, we have not had the level of communication and collaboration we've seen amongst ADs and, and other groups and our, our presidents, uh, nowhere near approaching what it's been the last few months. It's been excellent, and there'll be some very positive legacies in terms of the connectedness of our league. And we're reminded of the necessary, necessity to innovate, embrace new technologies, respond to changing um, uh, interests and tests and, and technologies. And we've seen that in terms of how we're uh, telecasting games, when we play games, how we do matchups in a lot of different ways. And we've been reminded of the importance of our collective and compassionate leadership on our campuses. I'm immensely proud of the leadership the Pac-12 demonstrated this year, the values that were evident from our presidents and chancellors in terms of what was most important. And I want to again express my Gratitude, admiration for the way our university presidents, ADs, coaches led and collaborated uh, through the pandemic and allowing us to get much of our season in, and especially our student athletes that have had to show an incredible level of resiliency. There's no question there's been a challenging year for college sports, but as challenging as, as it's been, it's reminded us what's so special about college sports, how much it means to the student athletes as part of their overall education, how much it means to our fans, how much it means to our communities. Um, and, and many other stakeholders. So it's important that we keep in perspective and continue to do everything we can to support our communities, uh, our student athletes, um, and uh, look forward uh, to next year. And hopefully uh, you're getting back to a more normal football season next season. With that, happy to take any questions that you have. Thank you. Cool. Thank you, Commissioner Scott. We'll now begin the Q&A session. Uh, as a reminder, media can select the raise hand tab at the bottom of your screen in order to be added to the queue. When selected to ask a question, please be sure to unmute yourself and to identify yourself by full name and media outlet. Uh, with that, we'll start off with a question from uh, Ryan at the LA Times. Hey, Larry, thanks for doing this. 
Um, before the season, I know you talked about the Pac-12's hope to still be included in the playoff conversation. And now, as, as it stands, USC is undefeated and still it's only ranked 13th. Do you feel like there's anything more you or the conference could have done to help the Pac-12's top team be a part of that conversation? And what do you think it says about the conference that its top-ranked undefeated team is behind several two-loss teams from the Big 12 and SEC? Yeah, well, we um, we clearly understood, Ryan, we were starting the season later than others uh, for a variety of reasons, including um, approval from the state of California, state of Washington, state of Oregon, only on September 27th. Uh, the commitment of all of our coaches and football administrators to health and safety and wanting to make sure we had a full six weeks of uh, ramp up to get ready. Um, and they didn't want to shortchange that. Um, and then, you know, an extra week between October 31st and our starting November 7th, where our presidents and chancellors felt it was critical to take an extra week and have full consultation on our campuses before we uh, were starting the season that ultimately led to the decision to start on the 7th rather than the 31st. So those, you know, I think some of the uh, reporting has missed three of those unique factors in our league that led to our start date. And with that, we knew that we were gonna have less games uh, than other conferences uh, going in. And unfortunately along the way, you know, even, even USC um, had, uh, had their issues and lo lost a game. Um, so um, we knew we had a very thin margin for error uh, but these decisions were, you know, based on, on values, uh, priorities, you know, led by our presidents and chancellors and these unique challenges we had in terms of state approvals uh, being late and a level of consultation we wanted to have on our campuses. So um, I think we understood that, uh, you know, we're going to be playing some catch up there. Having said that, um, you know, USC has had a fantastic uh, season, uh, a, lot of, a lot of really compelling games and close games uh, that they found a way to win. Uh, and at five and zero, oh, uh, with a chance to play, you know, an excellent program, you know, big brand in Oregon Friday night on a big stage, we absolutely feel that they're deserving of consideration for the, for the playoff. And, um, you know, I certainly understand this is a, we said, uh, everyone said going, this is gonna be a challenging year for the committee with more subjectivity uh, than ever. Uh, having said that, you know, we're, we're disappointed at where USC is in the standings, you know, compared to uh, the only other 5-0 and team and, and seeing some two lost teams in front of them. We've expressed that and are going to continue to express that to the committee. We don't think USC has gotten the respect they deserve uh, when, when you watch the game, see the wins, and frankly, see the talent and the firepower uh, on that team. So the good news is they're going to have a chance uh, to showcase themselves in a Pac-12 championship game. Um, the committee has always said winning a championship in your conference is a very, very important data point. Uh, so I'm still holding out some hope that the committee will, I know the committee is going to watch the game and, uh, uh, you know, depending on how USC does and if they continue to improve and look at as they had, certainly UCLA uh, was a very complete game that they played, um, you know, we're hoping that they uh, will be in the discussion for the playoff spot. But, uh, you know, certainly 13 does not come close to reflecting where we think they deserve to be right now. So just to be clear that you don't believe there's anything else that you or the Pac-12 could have done to put 
the, the conference's undefeated team in a better position, just given the time that you guys started? Um, well, there's a lot that we do, uh, certainly, you know, behind the scenes and discussions with the committee privately, uh, information that we provide collaboratively uh, with, with the USC. You know, we've got uh, a representative, Rick George, on the college football playoff committee, as well as observers that I, I certainly trust and believe are doing a great job to articulate um, the strength and depth of the conference and, um, you know, USC's attributes. Um, so, you know, I'm not in the committee room. I don't think I'd give you a great explanation for why they're uh, 13 and not closer to four, but um, uh, I certainly feel that we're doing everything we can um, to advocate for them. You know, and this is a year they've had a chance to plan some very big uh, stages. Uh, we, we, we've benefited through the strength of our partnerships with ESPN and Fox. Uh, they've been on some very big platforms. So I think everyone's had a chance to watch watch the games and have been a lot of eyeballs on their games. So I certainly feel good about all the efforts that we've put in collectively with the USC to advocate for them and, you know, frustrated and disappointed where they are in the standings right now, for sure. Great. Uh, we've got a question from Ralph Russo of the AP. Hey, Larry. Um, you know, so I jumped on a hair late. I saw that you had mentioned the positivity rate of the testing within the conference. I think it said something along the lines of 1.2. Um, I guess when you look at that, you look at the games played, you look at just sort of the totality of everything. You mentioned it's a season you can be proud of. How do you define success? Is success, hey, we just played a lot of games and that's great. Does success mean the 1.2% positivity rate like you know how do you put all that together and define it, whether this yeah. was a successful season first of all for the Pac-12 and maybe to a certain degree if you look broader for college football in general yeah well I was on a call I me mean, I'll start with the broader in general I was on a call with um you know my fellow commissioners from the A5 yesterday and we've been having those calls and zooms regularly as I think you know and to to a league um you know got through uh, most of their games. No one got through all their games, even with rescheduling and all that. But I think we all agreed that, you know, three months ago, if you would have told us is what we would be able to get through and there would be disruptions, but we'd have meaningful opportunities for our student athletes and chance to compete for college football playoff and important bowl games and championship games. I think, um, I think we all agreed. We would have said, okay, it's going to be choppy. But that would be a good result. We owe it to our student athletes to try to do that. Um, and what we also commented on, Ralph, is that no one is aware of any examples in any of our games where there was transmission of the virus. It's pretty, pretty astounding. I mean, we all had concerns that by having student athletes uh, play football games, you know, you could be leading to the spread of the virus and there's zero evidence uh, that through football games, uh, with all the precautions uh, that we've taken in our league, others have taken in terms, in terms of testing and protocols. Um, so this leads me to, you know, how do I measure success? Um, you know, the health and safety of the student athletes was always going to be the first priority. We wanted to afford an opportunity for them and our, our schools and our programs to play and compete if we felt that we could look parents, student athletes in the eye and said, this is not going to be a riskier activity for you 
compared to not being out there and playing. And when I look at the fact that um, we're not aware of any transmission through a game, um, you know, a, a very low positivity rate among student athletes, you know, lower than say the student population generally at these schools, I think it's fair to say our student athletes were safer uh, being part of our programs and having the rigor and having the discipline and having the protocols and having the daily testing um, than they would have been uh, otherwise. And certainly it was, we, we did not put the student athletes in harm's way. I'm confident um, uh, through the protocols that, that we had and they had a chance to pursue their dreams and what they uh, love. So I'd say health, health and safety and getting through it, uh, feeling like uh, we did the appropriate, made the appropriate steps with all that was available to us. Um, um, I think we feel pretty good about that. Secondly, play as many games as possible. Um, you know, as it turns out, uh, you know, we, we certainly missed games as did other leagues. I think as we reflect on the season, um, you know, most of the games we missed were not a result of multiple uh, student athletes, you know, having COVID, but it was the contact tracing and the public health authority requirements. I mean, the two most extreme examples probably are Cal this year that missed two games with one positive student athlete on their roster. Um, you know, that was a result of respecting and following, like we always said we would, uh, local public health authorities, in this case, Berkeley Public Health with the university, felt like they needed to contact trace out, you know, whole defensive line and numbers of student athletes that put them below 53. And Cal's not the only example. Um, uh, so I think with, with you know, a couple of exceptions, in most cases, there are very few uh, cases of COVID, but the contact tracing requirements of public health officials is what caused us uh, to miss games. But we got a good number of games in and our teams have had a chance to prove themselves and play for a championship. And we'll have a chance to compete uh, important postseason opportunities. So um, would I have liked to have missed less games or have not uh, had some of the challenges we had to work through with contact tracing? Absolutely. I mean, there have been some you know, devastating uh, losses of games for Cal that had a very frustrating season. Arizona State missed three weeks in a row due to cases and contact tracing uh, and all that. And, and there are other examples of you know, tremendous disappointment. Colorado's missed a couple of games, isn't going to have a chance to play a game this week. So there's been a lot of disappointment along the way, but we also got through uh, quite a lot of games and, and many of our teams had a chance to prove themselves. Our, our programs you know, are, you know, see themselves as uh, competing, at the highest level, want, of course, a chance to compete uh, in the playoff and for a national championship. If you look at the quality of recruiting in this league, you look at the players who go to the NFL from this league, this is, you know, our student athletes are elite, have very elite programs, elite coaches. And, um, you know, it'll disappointing that we didn't have a chance to play more games for sure. Uh, it may not be getting the recognition uh, from the committee that we think we deserve. So tough question to answer exactly how you measure success, but I think the first uh, by far would have been, can we get through the season with health and safety in mind and not be spreading uh, the virus? And we got through a lot of games, not as many as we would have liked, and there are disappointments for sure, but a lot to be proud of. Great, we've got a question from Kyle Bonagura of ESPN. 
Hey, Larry, wh where do things stand with your own contract with the conference, a, a timeline on potentially discussing an extension, and with the benefit of hindsight, is there any major decisions over the last several months you would have handled differently? Uh, I think it's been well reported. My contract goes through the middle of uh, 2022, so um, you know, still still a while, and you know, there's there's been plenty to keep me laser focused on the issues and the opportunities that we've got at the moment. It's been an extraordinary year. Uh, my focus has really just been on working with our members and navigating through, giving our student athletes a chance to to play, to play safely, um, and the other you know challenges and opportunities we've got ahead of us. So it's not a conversation. Uh, that I've had uh, with our presidents and chancellors yet, or frankly, I haven't had a chance to spend a lot of time thinking about it yet either, but that'll be sometime in, in 2021. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that. Um, in terms of this year, um, you know, as, as I look back, I mean, there's always, uh, always, we'll take a time to reflect really at the end of the season on if there's anything we could have done better or differently. You know, one of the things I think we can say with confidence, Kyle, is that the collaboration's never been better in this conference, the amount of communication uh, amongst ADs for me with our presidents and chancellors really has never been more intense or closer. And that's been a real, real positive. So whatever decisions we've made, uh, we've made in a very consultative, collaborative and aligned uh, fashion. And I think people feel good about our process. I've asked this question you know, repeatedly uh, with our IDs, with our presidents, uh, amongst our, our leadership team at the conference. And I think we feel good that our decision has been values-based, following science, following data, prioritizing the health and safety of student athletes. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll go through a more deep reflective process, I'm sure at the end of the season. But um, you know, for the moment, I think you know, we focus on the process we went through and the values and making the decisions we made. Got a question from Josh Newman of the Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Larry, good morning. Hey, Josh. Um, as your athletic departments, most if not all of them face um, eight-figure budget deficits, uh, is the league in any position where they can help financially to maybe bridge some of those gaps? Yes, this has been an exceedingly uh, challenging year on a lot of different levels, including financial. Um, without the ability of fans at our games uh, and with a reduced slate of games, there'll be significant uh, offset in revenues our universities are able to uh, capture through ticket sales, sponsorship, even donations, uh, other things. And there'll be uh, reductions in the amount of television revenue uh, the conference gets um, because of the reduced number of games. Um, so, you know, I'm not aware of any of our schools that are going to be able to save their way, uh, to balance their budgets this year. There will be deficits and this, this is concerning. Um, you know, I think we had the foresight with our schools to start a process three or four months ago, um, using the platform of the league and, and the leverage and the balance sheet that, that we've got and, the uh, very significant value in our media rights and the very significant increased value that the market sees we're going to get in our next round of TV deals that we do have the ability uh, to help our universities uh, with some borrowing uh, or advance on future TV revenues. Um, and we have not finalized a specific plan yet, uh, but we are in you know, close consultation with our university CFOs, 
as well as our ADs. We're still trying to figure out exactly what the need's gonna be, uh, but we are there uh, for our schools. Uh, we've got uh, the ability uh, to um, you know, provide some bridge uh, financing and financial support to get through uh, this challenging time. And, and the good news is we're, we're expecting to be back to a full season and uh, full revenues uh, next year. Um, and obviously we've got some uh, big increases uh, coming when our TV rights come up. So all that puts us in a position um, through the relationships that we've got and the work that we've done with private equity and financial institutions historically uh, to have some flexibility to help our schools. But uh, details are not finalized yet as our schools aren't really ready to lock into what their needs are going to be. Got a question from Sean Keeler of the Denver Post. Go ahead, Sean, make sure you're unmuted. Sorry about that. Uh, Larry, thanks for the time on this. I know all politics are local, as they say. Uh, so you probably know where I'm going <laughs> with, with this a little bit. But uh, in general, one, first off, if I could ask one question and a quick follow-up, uh, are you inferring that the Buffs will not have to come to Los Angeles now, given that you said that there's not a game? And where is that at logistically? What is their cutoff point? Yeah, so we, um, I mean, the official uh, cutoff point is today. Um, and uh, there's been a lot of discussion with our coaches, our ADs, and we agreed that, you know, with daily testing, and given our experience this season, Sean, you may have seen, and we've had to cancel games on Thursdays and Fridays sure. for Saturday. It's been uh, the kind of thing where there have been positive tests a couple of days before a game and through contact tracing. Uh, unfortunately, we've had to cancel games, you know, close to those games. We even had one example uh, with Cal at Washington State where you saw it was canceled game day. So we agreed that up till today, um, Colorado needed to be ready uh, to potentially replace USC in the South if they couldn't play. Um, so as we're speaking, I'm supposed to be getting in uh, the results from this morning's tests um, and the PCR tests uh, that, that were done. Um, and, uh, so I, I expect sometime in the next few hours, uh, they'll be, uh, you know, they're, they're on or they're not on, uh, okay. right. But I'm fully expecting at this point in time, uh, both USC, uh, and Oregon have been in very good, very good shape and fully expecting the game is going to go forward as planned. Yeah. It's a very unique situation, obviously nothing like having your equipment trucks drive, you know, nine hours of the 18 and then have to make a decision to stay or go. I'm curious, given that one, who, who pays for that? Again, very unique circumstance. And when we're dealing uh, the equipment going out uh, and, and those costs of transport, potentially one, two, in a fall, like you said, where we're all trying to mitigate short straw situations, I guess, for lack of a better word, where there aren't a lot of great, you know, find the least worst scenario uh, with this. What would you say to, to, to fans, Buffalo fans here who hear your senior associate commissioner say of the buffs in this scenario this week, well, they know what their role is uh, and some concerns about the lack of flexibility that this team had in the scenario that they're in where, again, you've got a ranked team in the CFP playoffs that, that isn't playing and could have played a division game. It could have had some other opportunities and instead sent a truck out to Utah and is either sending it to LA or bringing it home, which is very unusual. Uh, I completely agree with you, Sean. Very, very unusual and challenging year. There hasn't been a playbook for much of what we've had to deal with uh, this season. 
Um, but we, what we are doing is what we've extensively discussed with our coaches, uh, with our football ops people, and with our ADs. And in good faith, these are protocols that we all agreed uh, were going to be followed. Early on, our schools believed in a year that we were, were going to have a very truncated season and might, you might not even play all the teams in your division. Um, that we needed to play a Pac-12 championship game and we would have uh, replacement teams because this is a year where it's not going to be 100% clear cut necessarily uh, who's a South champ, North champ, and we needed to keep that flexibility and nimbleness. And the other thing is that, and again, we relied heavily on the coaches in terms of what they thought was okay and not okay from a football standpoint, from a competitive equity standpoint, that we could go as late as today and, and replace a team if necessary, as long as those programs knew it was a possibility and had a chance to game plan all week, uh, which they have. So these were decisions made by, by the football experts uh, in our league. And you know, in terms of the specific about the truck, um, you know, uh, that, that was made by our operations people with them in terms of uh, the practicalities. I'm not really up to speed on the details of that or, or who's, who's paying for what, but I do have a lot of empathy for uh, Colorado, obviously new coach, a lot of optimism, a lot of bright spots, and a lot of frustration about um, you know, having so many games canceled. So I completely understand uh, the frustration. Um, and, uh, but I will say there was also um, a lot of, I think, admirable flexibility and nimbleness shown by our leadership, again, coaches, ADs, league office, um, you know, when it appeared Colorado wasn't, was, it was going to get, you know, multiple cancellations. We allowed non-conference opponent scheduling. Obviously Colorado chose to not take advantage of that, uh, but they had the option. So I think there's been a lot of um, thoughtfulness and flexibility um, and reliance on our football experts to help drive these decisions. Great, we've got a question from Adam Grossbard of the Orange County Register. Go ahead, Adam. Hi, Larry. Uh, most other conferences contingency plans for conference title games were that, were that if a team could not play due to COVID, the teams would be declared co-champions. Why is the Pac-12 comfortable with the idea of a division runner-up playing in a conference championship game? Yeah, thanks for the question, Adam. Yeah, I think there's probably some misunderstanding about this. All five of the Power Five, league, five leagues are doing this slightly differently. Um, the ACC um, told would would anoint. Uh, I'm sorry, the SEC would anoint co-champions uh, if their game couldn't be played. Uh, the ACC would have it be based on conference record, not co-champions. Uh, and the Big Ten, at least as of yesterday, uh, would not have a champion if they couldn't play the game. Um, in the case of the Big 12, they're doing it almost exactly like we're doing it. Uh, they would replace a team in their championship game if uh, one was not able to play, as would we. And the winner of that game is gonna be the conference champion. Um, so just uh, appreciate the opportunity to clarify, I haven't, haven't seen really accurate reporting on that, but we are um, in pretty much lockstep uh, with the Big 12 in terms of how we're doing it. And we drove it, I think I mentioned this earlier, we knew we'd have a limited number of games this year where we might not even have a situation 
where a team got to play everyone in their division. So, uh, and, and it, the way it turned out, I mean, Washington, Oregon is a perfect example of that. Uh, both of them had strong years and they were due to play each other the last game of the regular season. And as it turned out, it's a game that would have determined who would have represented the North in the Pac-12 championship game. Unfortunately, you know, Washington with the COVID issues and the contact tracing couldn't play the game. So both Washington and Oregon were deprived the opportunity to earn it on the field. Um, and so the fact that our coaches, our ADs, our league had the foresight uh, to say, we want our championship earned on the field this year in a year. We're probably not going to get all the division games played. Uh, actually, I think turned out to be prescient. And when Washington couldn't play, Washington won the tiebreaker, but they didn't get to earn it on the field against Oregon. The fact that Oregon's going to have a chance to play, uh, I think at least to those inside our league uh, makes a lot of sense. Uh, and we're, we're glad that we're going to have a championship game where the PAC 12 championship will be, earned on the field, which again, our football people felt was essential. Okay, next we got a question from James Kropia, the Oregonian. Go ahead, James. Larry, I wanted to ask you on the uh, playoff committee, on the management committee, uh, there's obviously been discussion about the possibility of the Rose Bowl not being a semifinal. So first, your feelings of where that stands, and I'll have a, a follow-up to that, but your feelings of where that stands, do you believe that the Rose Bowl will stay a national semifinal, or do you think that that game is going to move to another site? Um, well, I think the we're waiting to hopefully have some positive news from the state of California and uh, city of Pasadena about loosening their restrictions and allowing uh, some limited number of fans uh, for the game, which is the request uh, from the college football playoff committee, which as you uh, know, know, I sit on, uh, but I'm absolutely expecting the game uh, to take place uh, there um, as is part of, part of the rotation, part of the plan, obviously an amazing opportunity for student athletes uh, to compete at the, at the Rose Bowl on those hallowed grounds. Um, but I am hopeful that there'll be some accommodation for the families that you know have to travel from around the uh, uh, country um, to to be there, and this is obviously an amazing um, and maybe once in a lifetime opportunity for these student athletes to compete in a game like this. So that's that's where it stands in my view. Great. We'll take two more questions. Our first one from Joe Reedy of the AP. Go ahead, Joe. Larry, in, in light of the ESPN-SEC agreement last week, um, where do you guys see yourself in the upcoming media negotiations as far as that SEC deal? And does that open up, does that open up new opportunities now for you guys since it looks like CBS will be out of it, will be out of it? Yes. Uh, well, first of all, thanks for the uh, the, the levity. I'm, I'm enjoying your uh, your uh, Grinch uh, picture on the screen. So I don't know if others can see it, but uh, definitely the most creative uh, picture share. So thanks for that. Um, I um, 
you know, very happy for the uh, SEC um, since uh, I don't know the details, uh, but they seem pleased pleased with it and what it's going to mean for their league. But I'm absolutely delighted for the Pac-12. Another great data point um, supporting what our vision has been, which is that the market for premium college sports rights is going to continue to go up. And it has at every step along the way. And it's been, you know, my deep belief that come 23, when we have a chance to renegotiate our TV rights, we are going to see a huge increase in our media value. We're sitting on a lot of untapped growth in our value. And this has been validated when we've been out in the marketplace on multiple occasions, not just with our current partners, ESPN and Fox, but we went through an exercise where we talked to agencies, talked to private equity partners, uh, that gave us, you know, very significant valuations for our rights uh, and reinforced the fact that uh, we've got a plethora of partners uh, that would love to join with us now to partner on our TV rights going forward. Um, but after, you know, really a lot of extensive discussion, a lot of strategic planning, a lot of, you know, talking to experts, you know, whose opinions we value, you know, we're exhibiting strategic patience uh, because we believe that while the timing uh, other leagues are resetting rights now. Um, when our rights come up, like we did in 2011, we're going to catch up to the other leagues, maybe even leapfrog uh, some leagues. Very confident uh, in that based on continued increase in the value of premium sports rights, which the SEC deal with ESPN validates. Um, other data points we've got from the market. And then we're going to have all our rights available at the same time. The only JIT conference that will have the scale of rights available. So the number of bidders that are gonna be out there for rights, whether it's the CBS's, ESPN's, or some of the new players, uh, traditional, new, is gonna be greater than we've ever had before. And I think this is all, all positive news. And given that um, our leadership uh, is patient, has got the big picture in mind, got the long-term uh, view in mind, um, this is an important milestone, uh, validating and reinforcing our strategy. Great, we'll take one final question from Jim Alexander of the LA Daily News. Go ahead, Jim. Hey, Larry, uh, just wondering, have you had or has anybody else in Pac-12 administration had any follow-up conversations with uh, anyone from that group of athletes that sent you guys a letter in early August with concerns about health and safety and other issues? And if you haven't had a chance to do so, is that something that will be followed up on once the season's over? Thanks for the question, Jim. Uh, the answer is yes. We have had regular dialogue uh, with student athletes uh, and football student athletes. So we um, uh, have set up a football student athlete working group that we've met with a couple of times during the season um, in, you know, with the focus on social justice uh, that I uh, mentioned and our initiatives in that area. We've got a black student athlete working group that we've worked with. And we've got a broad student athlete leadership group that includes football and men's basketball student athletes. So um, we've tried to uh, evolve our structure and the groups that we have that are representative of, of the locker rooms and the student athletes make sure to include some of the voices that were in that original group that reached out to us in August. So, um, you know, I'm really pleased with the level of dialogue and responsiveness we've been able to have uh, with our student athletes um, that's ongoing.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.